Welcome to the Peckway Church Podcast. We're glad you're here. At Peckway, our mission is to transform lives by connecting people with God and with each other. It's our hope that this message will give you hope and encourage you to take the next step in your journey with Christ. For more information about our services and weekly ministries, visit us at peckwaychurch.com. this morning singing praise to our Father, shouting for joy as we just saw, because He is worthy of all praise. Let praise be a weapon that silences the enemy. Let praise be a weapon that conquers all anxiety. Let it changes everything we sing with all we are we claim your victory let it rise let praise arise we'll see you break down every wall we'll watch the giants fall for fear cannot survive when we praise you the God of Breakthroughs on our side, forever lift him high with all creation. storm inside of me. Let it rise. Let faith arise. Let it rise. We'll see you break down every wall. We'll watch the giants fall. For fear cannot survive when we praise you. The God of breakthroughs on our
ahead and have a seat. So great to see you here at Peckway this morning. Thanks for coming out. And uh, look inside of your bulletin. There is a gray connection card. I'm going to invite everyone to go ahead and begin filling that out as I'm speaking right now. Online, you're going to find a connection link in the chat window there. Click on that, follow the prompts, and uh, you can fill out that card digitally along with us here who are in person this morning. On this card, this is a great way that we can connect with each other and that we can uh, communicate. And so on the back are some questions, things that you can fill out. Save that card for a little later in the service. Uh, if you make a decision today, we would love to partner with you and walk with you in your journey with Jesus as you're discovering that or renewing that or just wanting to grow deeper with him. And you can return that card at the back of the room. Uh, there's a box there as you exit the doors this morning that you can drop that in uh, along with offerings as well. You can always, uh, if God prompts you to give, uh, we, we thank you so much for your generosity. And so you can also give. There's envelopes at the back of the room. You can do that through our website. There would be a give link in the chat window as well this morning. But uh, thank you so much for being here and worshiping with us as we are wrapping up the series that Pastor Chris has been uh, speaking on as we're talking about waiting. Waiting's never fun, right? Last week we talked about how we're, we, we don't like to wait. We have fast food and we have, we have quick service things and all of these kind of things. He talked about Jiffy Lube and all those kind of uh, quick service type things. But waiting, that's hard. And so today we're going to talk about waiting once again and what that looks like as we are waiting and how we witness to what God is doing in our hearts and lives as we do that. So have your message notes ready. They're there in your bulletin online. You'll find them there as well uh, that the host will let you know about a little bit later. So as we stand to sing once again, we're thinking about and praising the Lord this morning, right? We're turning our attention and thoughts to him. And you know, you have a story to tell. So let's sing about that this morning because God is worthy of our story and the story he's creating in our hearts and lives. Let's stand and sing.
This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Amen. We all have a story to tell. It might not be a beautiful story right now, but in the end, it will be a beautiful story. But we can look at those things that Jesus is doing, and we can have that as that witness to tell. Maybe you have a story of waiting this morning. You know, I want to share something with you uh, in Scripture. And go ahead and have a seat for just a moment, and then we'll stand back up in a second. But um, mm. that I want to share with you about waiting. And, you know, of course, there's, there's many stories in the Bible about waiting. One that I'm thinking of this morning is Abraham. If you know the story of Abraham and his son Isaac, that was the promise that God gave him. But before that, Sarah, his wife, and Abraham waited a really, really long time, right? And they thought, well, I'm going to help God out. Maybe this is God's plan. And so they decided that uh, he would have a baby with one of his um, other wives. Obviously, in the Old Testament, that was part of that, right? Part of that story. So, but they got ahead of God, and they didn't wait. And so they had Ishmael. And so I once heard a pastor talk about birthing an Ishmael. And uh, that's when we get ahead of God, when we think that, well, maybe this is, this is what God wants, and we kind of get impatient, and we're not waiting, and we birth an Ishmael in our lives. But I want to encourage you with the story that God is never late, and he's always on time. And, uh, you know, according to Scripture, God's timing is perfect. He's never late to answer our prayers or to pour out his divine blessings upon our lives, because only God knows what we need, when we need it, and how he will give us what uh, we need. So God answers our prayers in his own way, 
and his timing. And uh, the scriptures that we can find to, to, to look at that uh, is 2 Peter 3.8. It says, God has his own sense of timing with the Lord. A day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. He has a perfect timing, never early, never late. God's never in a hurry, but he's always on time. And uh, we can also see in Daniel 4.32 where God talks about being sovereign over our future. And so there's many, many places in the scripture that we can find about that. So let's stand and sing this song together this morning that talks about uh, God's uh, promises that we can see through all of scripture how he does that. So let's stand as we sing this together. Just ask the waves if they are stilled at the mention of his name. They'll say, my God is still the same. Ask the walls if they just fall at the mighty sound of praise. They'll say, my God is still the same. When did he break his promise? When did his kindness fail? Never has, never will. My God is still the same. When did he lose his power? When did his mercy change? Never has, never will. My God is still the same. My God is still the same.
my God is still the same. And that's something we can count on this morning, that he never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And his goodness is something that we can always look to and that we can depend on. So as we continue singing this morning, would you think about the good things in your life that God has given you that you can worship him for this morning? Good. 
We're thankful for his goodness today. Father, we thank you so much for the goodness, for your mercy that runs after us, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, today. Thank you for your love for us, for your kindness, for your mercy. We worship you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Pastor Scott, and thank you, worship team, and good morning, everyone. It's a a pleasure to conclude our our short two-week series together on on waiting, and as Scott mentioned already, this week we're going to be talking about waiting as witness, and what do we mean by that? Well, just quickly reviewing, last week we looked at Waiting as radical trust in those moments when things don't make sense or when we cannot see the end or more simply in the rush of our day-to-day living, we're called to just live in such a way that we are radically trusting in God, remembering that even though we might not feel faithful, He is always faithful. He is always at work and He is good. And I want to just kind of continue in that same vein for a moment and, and talk about something that Cal Newport in his book called Deep Work refers to as frenetic shallowness. Frenetic shallowness, right? And so this isn't on your outline, but just think about that two-word phrase for a moment. Frenetic. I mean, doesn't that word even just kind of sound like what it means? 
right? Frenetic, if you're, you're not sure, it just simply means quick and, and rapid. And in light of uh, this frenetic pace in which we often live our lives, a frenetic pace, one of the effects of it can be a distracted way of living. And shallowness then it's simply that. It's superficial. It's, it's empty. It's meaningless. So when we talk about things like a frenetic shallowness, we are living such busy lives that are staying only at a surface level, and it's preventing us in some ways from going deeper, or should I say, it's actually keeping us in a way from growing into the men and women that God is desiring and calling us to be in Jesus Christ. This is why I mentioned just kind of off the cuff and half jokingly last week about um, if you were here or you heard the message online, um, I mentioned about not bringing our phones into the sanctuary, right? Um, and, he, and here's my point why. Because it's, it's, it's a way that that frenetic shallowness just kind of creeps into our spiritual life. Now, I'm not anti-phone, right? I have one. My whole family has one. I have three different Bible apps on my phone, and I know many of you have Bible apps on your phone, so when we pull out the, the Bible to read the passage in a few minutes, some of us will pull out our device, right? And so I, I get that. But here, here's the thing. If, if I bring my phone into the sanctuary, and I pull up the Bible app, and I'm trying to follow along with what the pastor is reading or, or preaching about, all of a sudden... There are these little things called notifications. All of a sudden, as I'm reading a passage, an email notification pops up. Or a text message notification pops up. Let's be honest. What are we going to do in that moment? We're going to click on that notification. And instead of reading the scripture passage along with the rest of the brothers and sisters... We're now distracted and we're reading an email. Or we're now distracted and we're reading a text message and our thoughts are not on what God may be trying to say to me in that moment through his word, but now my thoughts are focused on what am I going to respond to this email or what am I going to respond to this text message. Now I know, I know some of you might even be thinking, but, but don't, don't you have, doesn't the church have us, you know, Text in church, right? Text your, your different things. Yeah, I know. I kind of sound contradictory right now. And, and so I'm just giving you my thoughts, right? Something to think about. Just uh, something that, that just um, uh, emphasizes that we are living in a distracted age. And uh, the more I read into it, and I've been kind of trying to just read up on this over the last year or so and look into this a little bit more deeply, but as we are distracted more and more in our current culture, something is happening to us because it's literally we, yeah, I can't talk today. It's literally rewiring the way that our brains work. And that rewiring of our brains is resulting then in how we are living out our lives. And one of the things that, from this frenetic shallowness, one of the implications is that there's actually a diminishing in our ability to do deep work. We're actually losing our ability to think critically or to think deeply about life and the things of life. And 
kind of piggybacking on some of the things I was talking about last week, but one of the effects in our culture is, is boredom. Nobody can be bored anymore. But what if God has something to say to us in those quiet, bored moments? Those moments that we're always trying to get past or push through or move on to the next thing. What if God has something to say to us in those moments? So in a sense, I would encourage us to embrace boredom once more over a frenetic shallowness. What does this mean for the church? What does this mean for followers of Christ? Well, I think we gave some of the implications already just with the ability to do the deep work, the ability to, uh, the diminished ability to think critically, uh, and also then just this frenetic shallowness and how that creeps into our spiritual life. But I want to, before we get to the scripture passage, I want to show you a diagram. It's not on your outline, but hopefully we'll have it on the, the screen here. And uh, hopefully this will make sense. So you can see the arrows at the bottom indicating a direction, right? And so this is what's referred to as the already not yet reality. And I want you to look in that middle in the overlap of this diagram, right? That's where we live right now. We live in the middle of those two different ages, Right? And so there's the old age, which is marked by sin and death and evil. And we're told that Satan is the king, the, the, the prince of this world. Currently, scripture uses present tense language. But then you can see the cross. That indicates the work of Jesus. That's the beginning of the age to come. Jesus' earthly ministry, his incarnation, his teaching, his life here on earth, his 33 years, his death on the cross, his resurrection, his ascension 50 days later and the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And that other arrow that points downward, that signifies the second coming of Jesus. So we can say that the age to come is a present reality, but so is still the old age. So we live these lives where we are still in our sinfulness, in a sense. We still have what Paul says, our flesh or our sinful nature. But yet we also can claim victory in Jesus. It's this paradox, it's this both and reality that we live in right now. So we, the old age is defeated, Satan is defeated, but yet we're still waiting at the second coming of Jesus for when the kingdom will be fully consummated. And so we live in the midst of that tension. And why do I share this? Because it's in the midst of that tension that it's imperative for us to be men and women who are learning how to wait on the Lord. And to, to use Scott's words, not to birth an Ishmael in that time period. Right? This is, this is huge for us to understand our, our walk with the Lord. We live in that tension of the already and the not yet. And as we learn to wait on the Lord, I want to remind us that it's in that overlap. It's in that overlap that this diagram portrays. It's in that place where God is actually doing a deep work in us. And in light of this, our waiting then actually becomes a witness to the world around us. 
Let's turn in our Bibles to Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 30. Paul writes this to the church in Rome. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to the frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is not seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of your word and the opportunity that you've given us today to gather together in this place. Thank you that your presence is here with us. And Holy Spirit, since you are here with us, I pray not just for myself, but for all of us, that you would fill us afresh in this moment. And in that process, give us open eyes to see, open ears to hear, and open hearts to understand what it means to understand our waiting as witness to you and your goodness. We lift this up to you in your precious name. Amen. Now, we're going to walk through this passage, and then I want to um, conclude our time with some examples from uh, Scripture, and then I want to uh, wrap it up with, with two examples um, one from somebody that, that you would know from this past century, but then also uh, uh, an example that is more close to home, somebody from our own church. And so that's, this is where we're going today. And so Paul begins with an, this kind of uncomfortable reality in verse 18. And that reality is the reality of our present sufferings. Look at verse 18 again. He says, I consider that our present sufferings. 
right? Now he does, he ends up with good news. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. He's writing this in that midst of that reality of the, the already not yet, the old kingdom and his new coming kingdom, which we're waiting that consummation. In that overlap, we have present sufferings. Jesus even tells us as much in John 16, He says, in this world, you will have trouble. But then he says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus doesn't say, you might have some difficult days or maybe you'll have some trouble. He says, plain and simply, in this world, you will have trouble, full stop. But, and whenever you're reading your Bible and you see that three-letter word, but... Under, I always put two little lines under it because that means there's something powerful coming after it that we need to pay attention to. But, Jesus says, I have overcome the world. And this is essentially what Paul is saying here. We live in this current reality where we are dealing with these present sufferings. But these are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. But don't we live in a, a day and age where we don't want present sufferings. None of us want to deal with present sufferings. Even in, for some of us, we try to do anything and everything we possibly can to avoid present sufferings, right? Are you with me? But friends, the reality is, as much as we try, they'll come. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. But again, the good news here is this, that our present sufferings are not worth anything compared to the glory that will be revealed. Right? Imagine if we began to actually allow that truth to just seep into our hearts and minds and that became the truth in which we were able to live our daily lives. Do you think that would have some kind of spiritual power behind it to empower us for our day-to-day -day living? I know there's something difficult today that I have to face, but I know that there's some greater glory to come so I can deal with this thing. We're told again, and I won't spend a whole lot of time on this because we talked about this last week when we looked at Psalm 46, but we're, we're given this picture again from the Apostle Paul that creation eagerly awaits. We're not the only ones waiting. All creation eagerly waits. Verses 19 through 21, for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. That's referring to that consummation of the kingdom. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Again, all of creation has been affected by the decision of Adam and Eve to rebel against God in the Garden of Eden. Not just humanity has fallen, but all creation has fallen. That's why we have things like global warming. That's why we have things like hurricanes and tornadoes and flash floods and all of these things. Those were not part of God's original creation. Those were not part of God's original design and intention. Those are pictures to us of the reality that sin is not just a human thing. Sin has affected all the cosmos. All of creation has been affected. 
as a result. And so we're given this picture of creation waiting as if it's in childbirth. That's kind of the picture that Paul's giving here. There's this eager anticipation, this eager waiting for the consummation of the kingdom, for the second coming of Jesus, because all creation is going to be remade new. Just as you and I are going to be remade new. And it's from here then, point number two, Paul says that we eagerly wait. So not only does creation eagerly wait, but we eagerly wait. Romans 8, 23 and 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. That's talking about and pointing toward the reality of the future resurrection to come for those who are in Jesus Christ. That just as Jesus is in a flesh and blood body, even though he is ascended back to the right hand of the Father, he's still in his resurrected body. And you know what? You and I are also going to receive resurrected bodies just like Jesus has. And that's part of that hope. That's part of that reality in which we eagerly wait for. Bodies that are no longer affected by sin and its effects. No more things like cancer. No more things like COVID. No more things like the flu. Nothing like that. Nothing will affect our bodies anymore. They'll be made new. They'll be spiritual bodies, but they'll still be resurrected fleshly bodies just without any effect from sin. But Paul says that we eagerly await for this. It's this deep longing that the Spirit places inside our hearts for that consummated kingdom. Just think of that word eagerly that Paul uses here. Eagerly. When was the last time you eagerly were waiting for something? Whatever that might have been. Remember how you felt? Do you feel that eagerness for the return of Christ? Do you feel that eagerness for the redemption to come, the full consummation and inbreaking of his kingdom? Do you long for that? See, I think that's one of the things that our distracted world is, is diminishing within us. That we are losing the ability and the focus on that eagerness of what's to come. And instead of living now in light of what is to come, we are so distracted and focused on things all around us. And we're losing that eagerness. And it's making us weaker Christians in some way. Are we eager for justice in its fullness? Are we eager for wholeness, flourishing, peace, a redemption? Friends, we are to be living into these things in the here and now. Paul also says then that we wait patiently. Romans 8, 24, and 25. For in this hope we were saved. And notice the past tense here. We were saved, right? 
It's that already not yet reality, that diagram we were looking at. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Wait a minute. We wait for it eagerly, but now you're telling us we wait for it patiently? Yes. Christianity is full of living in paradox. Christianity is full of living together in tension. We are saved, but yet we await our full salvation at the second coming of Jesus. We wait patiently, and at the same time, we are eager for it. We live in the midst of that, in that overlap. To wait patiently is to live a life that's marked by endurance and perseverance. Jesus says in the Gospels over and over again, words like this, those who endure to the end or those who persevere to the end will be saved. That's this picture of waiting mixed with persevering. Waiting mixed with eagerness. Patience and eagerness together. That's something that's to mark our lives. When, when I was writing about this this week and praying about this, and um, I, I often think about uh, the global church. I love the global church, and I know I, I don't want to romanticize the global church because they have issues just like any other church. But I am, I'm always so challenged by the stories I hear coming from brothers and sisters around the globe. I think they can teach us what it means and what it looks like to wait both patiently and eagerly. Um, one of the podcasts I listen to, probably the one I've listened to the longest and the most, is uh, Voice of the Martyrs podcast, where they share, it's short, it's only usually 25 minutes or so, but every Saturday it comes out and it shares stories of what's happening in the church around the globe. And often I've heard from coming from different areas, mostly in um, Asia and Southeast Asia in that region, that one of the things that they first teach a brand new believer is what they call prison theology. And what do they mean by that? They mean that Hey, now you're following Jesus? Guess what? There's a very high chance that you're going to be put in prison at some point for your faith. And so not only do they have to live in the midst of that tension, but it's something that they actually end up embracing with an eagerness. And there's, there's, I've heard multiple stories and accounts um, in different places where somebody, a believer, is, is put in prison for their faith and they, they, it's, not, it's not like they resign themselves to what happened like in a negative sense, but they kind of have this understanding of the sovereignty of God where they say, well, God has me here for a purpose, so while I'm in here, I'm going to start preaching Jesus. And there's, now again, I don't want to give a picture that this is like a bunch of people, but there have been occasions where People have turned like almost the whole prison into, into Christians. They've evangelized and converted like large numbers of people in the prison. And as a result, the, the people that run the prison say, we can't have this. Get that person out of here. And they're released from prison. Why? They didn't resign themselves to the fact that, well, here I am. I guess I can't do anything. It was, no. While I'm waiting... I think God has something for me here. 
So I'm going to use, take advantage of the opportunity I have. It's like fish in a barrel if you're in prison, right? Living in the midst of that tension, waiting eagerly and patiently. And thankfully, God doesn't leave us as orphans. When Jesus returned, he gave us the Holy Spirit. And he told us he would do that in John 14, 18. That's, that's not on your outline. But Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. We're not orphaned people in God's kingdom. We are his children, his sons and daughters, and we've been given the Holy Spirit. And Paul then goes on to point out to us how God helps us while we wait. God helps us while we wait. And one of the things he mentions in this passage, one of the ways God does that is through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, he says twice, intercedes for us. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us. Romans 8, 26 and 27. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Friends, this is great news. Because in our hardships, in our present reality of sufferings, in our weakness, these things are not a deterrent for God. And so then they shouldn't be a deterrent for us. Instead, it's in our weakness, that's the very place where God's strength and grace shines through. That's what he told Paul. Paul prayed three times. He, had a, um, um, he says, I had a, a messenger from Satan, a thorn in the flesh. And he says, I prayed to the Lord three times to remove it. But the Lord said, no. And this is, uh, or this is 2 Corinthians 12. He says, the Lord said, no, for my grace is sufficient for you. Right? And so it's in our weakness that God's light shines through. And there's, there's beauty in this. There's power in this. Um, even just this week, just personally, I had some moments in prayer in the mornings where I, I just, I had so much on my heart and my mind that, that I, I couldn't come up with the words. And so I just called on these verses and said, Lord, I thank you for the Holy Spirit that intercedes on our behalf. There's so much on my heart and my mind. I can't come up with the words. So I'm just going to sit here and let the Holy Spirit intercede on my behalf before your throne. And I sat there in silence, just silently praying, allowing the Holy Spirit to take my prayers to God for me. We don't, so when we pray, we don't always have to have the words the Spirit intercedes for us. We're told in other passages in Scripture that Jesus himself intercedes for us. Friends, this is one of the ways that God helps us. But it means we, we do need to come before him. Secondly, God works for our good. This is a passage that many of you might be familiar with. This is one of those passages that's usually framed and hung on walls or put on coffee mugs. It says in verse 28, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. 
Friends, essentially nothing can happen to followers of Christ in which God cannot take it and use it for good. Both our own human good, but also God's own good. Now hear me on this. This doesn't mean that everything that happens to us is good. That's not what Paul's saying. That's not what what I am saying. We still need to acknowledge evil for evil. We never call evil good, but we worship a God who does not uh, um, will all things, but he is at work in all things. And for his children, this isn't a promise just for, for everybody. This is for those that love him. This is for the children of God. He works for good in those situations. And so a third way then is that in the waiting, God is transforming us. God is transforming us in the waiting, in that overlap that we looked at in that diagram. He wants to make us sons and daughters in the fullness of what that means in Christ Jesus. Look at verses 29 and 30. Paul says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Friends, do you see the, the, the procession here? Do you see the, the sequence? This was God's plan from the beginning. This is the story of our sanctification. If you don't know what that means, essentially it means that he has called us to be set apart, and that means that he has called us to become more and more like his son and our savior, Jesus Christ. And we were, when we say yes to him, we are in, entering into this process of his sanctifying grace that will end with his glorifying grace. When we enter, finally enter into the remade heaven and earth and we experience our resurrected body, that is God's glorifying grace. The psalmist in Psalm 73 gives us a glimpse of that. Psalm 73 is... Probably my favorite psalm. And I just want to read two verses there. The psalmist says, Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. That's referring to the promise of what is to come. I know that, that even in what I'm going through right now, you are with me. Even if I can't see you, even if I don't understand it, I know you are with me. And I know that at some point in the future, you will take me in to glory. This is God's plan for all of us in Christ Jesus. And we get glimpses of this all throughout the scripture I want to just give three kind of biblical case studies just briefly to wrap our time up here. And I hope and pray that as we look at these three case studies that they just give us a, a glimpse of, of how God works in and through all things for his good and for our good. And I pray that these would be an encouragement to us to learn to wait so we are in what I refer to as the waiting room. We are in the waiting room. 
But again, the reality is that at some point, God will take us from the waiting room into glory, his glorifying grace. And so the first case I want us to look at is the man born blind in John chapter 9. The man born blind in John 9. I'm not going to turn there. You can turn there if you want to. But I just want to point out with each of these, I'm going to talk about the issue, kind of the waiting room itself for this person or this situation, and then how God uses it for his glory. And so the issue here is there's this man who was born blind. And we're told in the beginning in, nine, in uh, chapter 9, verse 3, that um, the disciples are walking with Jesus and they see this man born blind by the side of the road. And the disciples ask him, why was this man born blind? The Jewish way of thinking was that any kind of physical issue or health issue was related to sinfulness. Right? And so they, they ask Jesus, why was he born blind? Was it because of his sin or was it because of the sin of his parents? Jesus says it wasn't because of any sin. But he was born blind so that God would be glorified through him. Right? So Jesus up front gives an implication of why this man was born blind. And then, so, but think about it for a minute. So we know that this man was born blind. And later in the passage, his parents make a statement when they're giving a word to uh, the, the blind man is called before the, the Jewish leaders and multiple times, four times he gives his testimony. I was blind, he put mud on my eyes, I washed and now I see, right? And so they call his parents, they don't want to believe it, so they call his parents in and his parents are afraid that they'll get kicked out of the synagogue if they say Yes, Jesus did this. So they just simply take the easy way out and say, ask him yourself. He's of age. In the Jewish context, that means he's at least 30 years old. Because you had to be 30 years old to be able to give word of testimony in a court situation. So he's at least 30 years old at this point. Which means he would have been blind for at least 30 years at this point. But God uses this to glorify Himself. God uses this to glorify Jesus. God glorifies this man by bringing healing to his situation. But again, this wasn't, this was after at least 30 years of dealing with blindness. And the passage, and there's something beautiful that happens throughout this passage because if you read the passage, um, each time the man gives testimony, he refers to Jesus in a different way. And so we see that not only his physical eyesight is open, but his spiritual eyesight is open. He says, the man Jesus. And then he says, he, he's a prophet, another, a man, but who's a mouthpiece for God. And then the third time he says, he is from God or of God. And then at the end of the passage, verse 39, we find that this man worships Jesus. He falls on, on his face before Jesus and worships him as Lord. The second case study, the Apostle Paul. Paul's call to ministry and, and mission. The issue here for Paul is that he's called by Jesus and, and we see this all the way back in Acts chapter 9 verse 16 as well. But he's, he's called by Jesus to proclaim the gospel in Rome. Specifically, Jesus reminds him of that in Acts 23, 11. 
and Paul is in prison. This is his waiting room. Paul is in prison, and he's held in prison for two extra years in Caesarea. Now imagine that. Jesus says, you're going to go to Rome and proclaim the gospel there, but here he is in the waiting room of life, stuck in prison in Caesarea. Jesus, if it was me, I probably would have been like, Jesus, but you said, you said, Jesus, I was going to go to Rome, but now here I am in prison. Either, either you lied or I misunderstood or, or something. I don't understand what's going on. But if we read through the rest of the book of Acts, we see God glorified because Paul, the book of Acts ends with Paul, even though he's in Rome and he's on house arrest, he is continually proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. So even when God says something to us, even when God gives us a promise, it doesn't mean everything's just going to be a nice little straight line from point A to point B. From point A to point B, it might actually look more like this before we get there. But the point is, God is good and he will fulfill his promises. He will be glorified. And the last example sorry, I'm running out of time here, is the life of Joseph. The life of Joseph. Joseph in the book of Genesis, he's the youngest of 12 brothers. And in that culture, um, the oldest brother kind of had the, the special place in the family. And so here he is, the younger brother, and he has two dreams from God. And in these two dreams, all of his family are depicted as bowing down to him. And of course, he, he shares this with his family and his brothers get jealous and his father even says, like, basically, what are you saying? And his brothers, because they're, they get jealous, so here's, here's his waiting room. Joseph is sold into slavery by his jealous brothers. And while then he ultimately is, he ends up in Egypt and he, in Egypt, he's falsely accused of, um, of rape, essentially, and he's imprisoned, and while he's imprisoned, he has an encounter with two other prisoners who work for the Pharaoh, and they say, he helps them out in prison, and they say, oh, we're going to remember you in front of Pharaoh, but they forget. And so he ends up staying in prison for two extra years. Eventually, He's brought out to interpret a dream for Pharaoh, and God begins to raise him up. And we're told that he becomes the key leader in Egypt. And he knows of a coming famine, and so he prepares Egypt to embrace what's to come. And through that whole famine, which was not just in Egypt, but was broader, his family comes back down to get food and he encounters them. And we have that powerful encounter where he uh, meets his brothers again after all of these years and he weeps before them. And he ends up saving Israel as a result. He ends up saving not just his, his family, but the future of all Israel is able to continue through this situation. That's, that's God glorified. The sovereignty of God is put on display. 
So friends, in that overlap, it's imperative for us to learn to cling to the Lord, to trust in his word, to trust in his promises. Two final quick examples. Mother Teresa. Many of us have heard about her. We know about her. But something that's interesting about her that you might not know about is after she passed away and we were able to access her, her journals and, and the things that she wrote down over her, her life, we learned that for about 50 years, she experienced what, what theologians would call the dark night of the soul. That means for 50 years, she, she just struggled to experience the presence of God. Nobody knew about this. This wasn't something we, we found out until after she had gone to be with the Lord. But for her, that 50 years of waiting, what did she do during that time period? That 50 years of the dark night, what did she do? She continued to live in faith to the God that she knew. She continued to walk obediently. So while she was waiting, she was doing so eagerly and expectantly, ministering to those literally in the gutters of the streets of Calcutta. And God used her greatly. And now here, I want to I wanna use a, a quick story with permission. Our brother, John King. I, I was able to, to meet with him. He's in a lot of pain. His tongue is, is like enlarged right now, and he's in a lot of pain. Um, he's had, if you don't know him, he's had cancer of the, the tongue and esophagus. And uh, doctors didn't think he'd make it this far. But he made it through Thanksgiving. He made it through Christmas and New Year's here. And I, I had the privilege of meeting with John and his wife, Linda, about a month ago at their home. And uh, he can't speak anymore, but he speaks through his phone. He types it in and then his phone says it out loud. But you know what? He smiled. He laughed as best as he could. The joy of the Lord is with him in the midst of his waiting room. And, and here's why I share his story with permission from, from him. He gave a big thumbs up when I, when I texted his wife about it. Um, he's not focused on himself. He's focused on other people. He has been using this journey as a springboard to talk to people about Jesus and the gospel. Man, what an example for us. What an example of living in the waiting room with the hope of the future glory, not despair of this world, which will be remade new. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for your word to us today. Thank you that you never stop doing the deep work of loving us for your sake and the sake of this world. Thank you for all that you do for us, even those things we can't see while we're waiting. 
Father, we praise you that you work in ways that that sometimes we don't understand, but we know according to Scripture, like Psalm 139 reminds us that your presence is always with us. And you promise to take us into glory. And this reflects the good news that we're given through Jesus Christ our Lord. Father, I pray for anyone among us here today who is, uh, just feels like they're in a waiting room of some sort. I pray, Father, that you would just bring them encouragement. Remind them that you are with them in the midst of that and you are the God that can take all situations and use them for good. And we praise you for who you are this morning and for who we get to be in you. It's in that precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. And while, while Scott's coming up again, I, I do just want to say if anybody wants prayer after service, just come on up and I'll, I'll be up here. I'd love to pray with you. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Well, as we're wrapping up, I'm going to invite you to take out that gray connection card once again online. That'll be there in the chat window as well. But perhaps um, I don't think it's uh, anything new for any of us when it comes to waiting. And so if you have something that you would like us to pray along with you about in that waiting, please feel free to write that on the card this morning. If you made one of those decisions that you see on the back of the card as well, please check the box. Drop that in there uh, in that box that's in the back of the room as you exit and uh, online you can hit that submit button. Many ways to grow things to strengthen your faith as you wait. You can look inside of your bulletin for that this morning. Also on the website, you can find more information about some of those things. Tomorrow night, we have a prayer time together from 7 to 8. We would invite you to come back out tomorrow for that if you would like to be a part of that. And uh, we can pray about those waiting things that we have going on in our lives. Thank you so much for your attention this morning and for worshiping together with us. And uh, I invite you back next Sunday, same time as we do that again. Thank you so much. Have a great rest of your day.